Welcome to the LFC Podcast, where our mission is to make, deploy, and multiply mature and equip Christ followers. We're grateful for this opportunity to bring you a message of hope, healing, and life transformation today. Enjoy the message. Good morning, 10 a.m. Are you ready to continue, finish up the Real Love series? We're gonna jump right into it this morning. Last week, we spent time in Genesis 23, and we talked about three generations who were buried in the cave of Machpelah. You remember? One of those couples that were buried there was Jacob and Leah. Now, Jacob was actually tricked into marrying Leah. Do you remember the story? He really loved Rachel, but his uh, father-in-law Laban said, it's not customary, I'm gonna trick you into marrying the oldest daughter, work for me seven more years and you can have my youngest daughter, Rachel. That's what happened. He loved her the most. Jacob loved Rachel the most, even more than Leah. So Rachel had the love of her husband, but she was unable to have children. She was barren. And at one point she says to her husband, give me children or I will die. That's how desperate she was to carry on the next generation. And God heard her prayer. And she had a son and they named him Joseph. You know him. Joseph was the the, the cool cat with a coat of many colors. Brothers hated him, threw him in a pit. He was saved, ended up being the second largest in command in Egypt. You're looking at me like you don't know the story. Yeah, you know this story, all right. And uh, he ended up saving the whole world from the worst famine the planet had ever seen. And then Rachel had another child. She got pregnant again. And it was late in her pregnancy when Jacob said, hey, let's make a trip to Bethlehem. Let's go, babe. Hop on the donkey. You'll be all right, big and pregnant. Hop on that donkey. And we're gonna go to Bethlehem. But before they get to their destination, she goes into labor. She goes into labor and she gives birth to a son whose line kings of Israel would come from. We know this kid as Benjamin. We know him as Benjamin, but she named him Ben-Onai. That means son of my mourning, son of my weeping. And Rachel is grieving and she is weeping because she knows she's never going to see these boys grow up. And she ends up dying in childbirth. There's no hope for the future. And she's grieving and mourning even in her death. And Jacob buries her alongside the road there at a place called Ramah. And it's a site just north of Jerusalem. It's called Rachel's tomb now. And as we learned last week, there were two most holy places in Judaism. Now Rachel's tomb is the third most holy place in Judaism. But perhaps more significant than even that fact is the fact that in scripture, three times when Ramah is referenced, it is in conjunction with Rachel's weeping. It's in conjunction with her mourning. And Rachel is weeping and she's crying out because at that place, at Ramah, three times in scripture, it's the place where children are stripped away from their mothers. 
they are taken. They're taken as slaves. Some are even put to death. Three times this happens in scripture. And the Bible says that that those three times that a sound rises up from the very depths of her grave. In other words, it's coming up from beyond. The supernatural takes place at Ramah. Did you know that your prayers can outlive you? Think about that for a moment. And did you know that the way that you pray and your, your prayer closet, your prayer time can actually influence your children? My mom influenced me. As a matter of fact, when we got a call from the Goldens on Friday about baby Kinsley needing, we went to prayer. We put that phone on speaker and we prayed 20 minutes, 30, I don't even know how long it was. And it was interesting as I was warring on behalf of this baby, I could feel like my mom. I sounded like my mom. I sounded like her. I sounded like her praying. You know why? My mom prayed loud. She prayed loud so we could hear her. She was praying. (laughs) And she influenced my prayer life. Rachel's voice cries out and she's weeping in this place where mothers are separated from their children and families are broken apart. We see it again in 2 Kings. Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember, he destroys the city of Jerusalem. He annihilates it. He burns it to the ground. But before he does that, he sends some men in and he says to them, I want the smartest, the best looking, uh, the, the, the most intelligent, the strongest young people that you can find of all ages. I want you to take them and I want you to, to kidnap them, bind them up because I want them to come as prisoners to Babylon so that I can build my kingdom. That was what the king of Babylon wanted to do. You know, maybe they were gifted in athletics. Maybe they were just really smart. They were in AP English or they soared through calculus. These were the kind of young people that they were looking for. But everything that they had known was taken away from them. They were taken from their homes and their families and their church. Can you picture it? I want you to picture it today, church. I need you to engage with me in the visual of seeing what happened to these children when they were kidnapped from their homes because an evil ruler wanted to enslave them for his purpose. Are you following me here? That is what happened. And he puts these young people in chains. He binds them up and they begin a 900 mile journey to Babylon. But the Bible says five miles just north of Jerusalem, they stopped in a place called Ramah. And some scholars believe that they actually had like pins or jail cells set up. They had to get themselves organized before they made the long journey to Babylon. And they stopped in a place called Ramah and put these kids into holding pins. They were caged like animals. I don't know about you, but you come and you destroy my city. You come and you kill my neighbors and you burn my house down and you take my kids captive. I'm coming after you. You better believe it. I'm not gonna sit by and let that happen. And I have a feeling that there are some moms and some mamas and there's some some mammals and there's some GGs and there's some marmies in this place. There's some keckies in this place who say, I will not stand for my 
lady whose daughter was kidnapped, she got in her car and she slammed on the gas and she drove over 100 miles an hour and she slammed into that perpetrator's car and was able to rescue her child. I think of our dear friends, Rochelle and Tim Inlow. They were years ago in Indonesia and their little guy happened to be blonde haired, dark eyed at the time, kind of an enigma in that, in that land. And someone walking down the street swept him up while they were on a missions trip. And my friend Rochelle, she's my age, but, but she suffers from MS in her body and it just doesn't quite do the things she wants it to do sometimes. But something supernatural rose up in that mama and she got up on her feet and she ran faster than she had ever ran before. And she tackled that perpetrator. She took him down and got her little boy back into safety. That's what happens, what we should do when we see our children being taken captive. I'm sure that there were some survivors in Jerusalem and they went out after those that had been enslaved. But before that they saw them, I'm sure they heard them. How many of you know your kid's voice? And so as they're approaching this, this group, they say multiplied thousands were kidnapped. They heard them crying. I can stand, sit in this chair and I can hear if Lottie Jean is crying in the nursery. I can hear if it's Remington Rose or if it's Maverick Allen and I'll pop up and I'll go make sure my babies are okay. I know their voice. You know the voice of your children. And so they're getting there and they hear the sound of their kids. They're crying out. They're frightened. They're bound up in chains. Can you just imagine? Imagine with me what that looked like. I wonder if some of the stronger young boys who have been take, taken captive tried to fight against the soldiers. I don't know the picture, but I can only imagine what took place. And they're at a place and they're at a place called Ramah. They're being made to be slaves. And I can just see a mother coming up, up to this group and she sees her toddler. And one of the teenage girls has grabbed this baby to comfort them. This is reality. This is what very well could have taken place when these kids were taken captive. Teenagers realizing they're never going to be with their families again. Even young adults, 20 to 30 year olds, taken, removed from everything that they've ever known, separated forever. And then there's a sound and it's louder than the cries of the captives. Jeremiah 31 says it like this, there's a voice heard in Ramah, Mourning and great weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children and she's refusing to be comforted because they are no more. It's the sound of bitter weeping coming up from the grave. And this is happening hundreds of years after her son, after her Joseph was ripped from her arms and she faced death. Hundreds of years later at this place called Ramah, the sound of her weeping cried out on behalf of the children and they're moving towards Babylon and the sound is heard. And what we have to understand are these kids, these kids were raised in the temple. These kids were taught the word of God, especially if they were boys, they had put to memory the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. 
These are the children that the enemy, King Nebuchadnezzar, wanted to enslave. That's who he targeted. He was after them. And Rachel wept and refused to be comforted. I'm asking you today, church, do you realize, do you understand that our children, our teenagers, and our young adults are being targeted by the enemy? The God of this age wants to enslave them and bind them up in addiction and confusion and witchcraft. And so many, so many are tormented and hopeless and they're just broken. They're just broken. We have to wake up, church. We have to wake up because Satan has tried throughout the ages to destroy God's people and he's just not subtle about it. It is in our face. Satanism is now a religion that you can check off a box. When asked religion, Satanism is now one of them. It's in our faces and he wants to destroy our children. But I'm afraid and I'm concerned that we're complacent. I'm concerned that we've grown apathetic I'm concerned that we're so busy that we're distracted. And I really think and I see that so many of us are so broken ourselves that we couldn't help the next generation even if we tried. I know that we have battles. I know that we have issues. But as we grow up in the things of God, he is able to heal. He's able to deliver you. He's able to do what no counselor could do. He's able to meet you at your greatest need. He is the one. And we have got to rise above ourselves on behalf of our children. Satan wants to destroy them just like he did the baby Jesus. He did. In Matthew 2, remember the story of that evil, insane, jealous ruler named Herod. He sent the Magi to confirm the whereabouts of the Christ child. He sent them to find out where Jesus was. And Matthew 2, 16 through 18 says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under. That's my Maverick Allen. He's two years old and the cutest kid you ever did see. And that edict was sent out in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. Listen to this. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. I don't think you're hearing me, church. There is a crying out and a weeping that we must do on behalf of our children. There is something in the supernatural realm when we understand what prayer and fasting and intercession does for the sake of the 
generation, little boys, two years old and under, they were executed on sight. They were ripped from their mother's arms. Can you imagine the struggle? You need to imagine the struggle. You need to picture this, people. Holding on with all that they have to their children, running as fast as, fighting off the soldiers as they would come and rip the children and execute them on sight. I am sorry that this is not a feel-good message this morning, but there is a reality, and Jesus is calling us higher. He's calling us deeper. He wants us to war and battle for the sake of our children. Don't be naive. This agenda is not just for adolescents, teenagers, and young adults. Blues, clues, and you. Pinky, malinky. I mean, that sounds so cute, doesn't it? Let me tell you, there's an agenda behind it. And you better wake up, weep for your children, church. Weep for them and refuse. When will we refuse to be comforted knowing that our kids are lost? How can we sit in a worship service singing about that in Jesus' name, every stronghold can be broken? When we have children and grandchildren bound up in, 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 in every addiction known to man, and we sit and we sing and we're complacent. Listen, folks, we ought to be worshiping like our lives depended on it because somebody's life might depend on a move of God that manifests itself when we worship. Jeremiah tells us that our work will be rewarded, so we're gonna put the work in prayer. We're gonna put the work in fasting, and we're gonna put the work in the word. You can join us this Wednesday doing just that. We're gonna fast on Wednesday, and then Wednesday night at seven o'clock, we're gonna pray, and we're gonna pray for our young people, and we're gonna pray for revival, and we're gonna pray for healing, and we're gonna pray for marriages, and we're gonna pray for a move of God that wipes out sin and degradation and his presence will be made known. God of revival, we will weep for them until they are free from depression and eating disorders, vaping and suicidal thoughts. Rachel wept. The enemy is doing everything he can to steal our kids to build up his kingdom. He wants his kingdom built up and God's kingdom diminished. And there's just something so powerful when a mother weeps and when a mother cries. But did you know that in families where the, only the woman serves God, that 17% of the time children will follow in the faith? 17%. But when the man serves God along with the woman, 93% of the time, the children will follow Jesus Christ. And that is why Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He says that in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, if you read that, you'll have to understand that the children of Israel, they were on their final stretch to take over the promised land. They were on that final stretch, and you can almost picture this, this speech as he's, as he's beckoning and he's pleading with the children of Israel, and he's trying to, he's like that football coach in the locker room at halftime, trying to muster the troops, trying to get them to, to, to get their head in the game. He's trying to get them to see that this is so important, and he says it right here, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, 
You go ahead then and choose. Somebody say choose. You choose for yourself this day whom you are going to serve, whether it be the gods of your ancestors that they served beyond the Euphrates or even the gods of the Amorites in the land that we now live. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. You see, to choose something means this, to make up your mind. Make up your mind. And for far too long, the church of the living God has been straddling the fence, trying to get the best of both worlds. Make up your mind. Can I encourage you? Make the right choice for the next generation. What Joshua is saying, this, uh, what he's saying is this. Friends, I don't know what you're going to do. What you're going to do is your own business. But as for me and my place, for me and my church, as for me and my house, we are going to serve God. <laughs> He's saying, I'm going to draw the line in the sand. You see, Joshua loved his people enough. He loved his church enough to say something about it. Come on, someone who needs to wake up today. He loved God enough to make the call and draw the line in the sand. And you know what he did? He started with his own house. Everybody is so concerned about what everyone else is doing that they neglect their own. He started in his own house. As for me and my house, we're going to serve God. Back in the, the Jesus movement, back in the 70s, Holy Spirit was moving and he got a hold of a young musician. He not so young today. But the Holy Spirit got a hold of him and he made a choice to serve Jesus. I don't know what he's doing and how what he's serving now because of the rock and roll lifestyle, but at that moment he gave his life to Jesus and his name was Bob Dylan. Some of you young people, you're like, who's that? But us old folks, we know who Bob Dylan is. <laughs> and in 1979, the Holy Spirit got a hold of him and he wrote a song called You Gotta Serve Somebody. These are just some of the words that was written. You may be a preacher preaching your spiritual pride. Da -da 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 -da. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be someone's mistress. You may be someone's heir, but you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. What's he saying? You're going to have to make a choice. You see, when we think about all the crazy things that's happening all over the nation and all over the world, I think sometimes we're a little bit blinded because we think, well, that's, that's happening in New York. That's happening in, in Chicago. That's, that's happening in, in California, right? It, that's happening in the liberal parts of the nation. But can I tell you, it's simply not true. Right here in our own neighborhood, in our own county, Things are being laid out right underneath our noses. And it's places that you and I drive by every single day that we don't even, it doesn't even cross our minds. Has anyone else noticed this? There have been 10 
gambling establishments that have now popped up all around the city. And you know what we're calling them now? Arcades. Come on, someone talk to me. They're called arcades. If you're my age, an arcade is you grab a roll of quarters and you play Pac-Man for an hour. Right? They're calling it our, our arcades. And where there is gambling, there's always going to be drugs and there's going to be alcohol. There's going to be prostitution. And what they're doing is they're preying on the addicted and the afflicted. And these places, listen, it will keep our communities stuck in a poverty mindset. See, someone needs to wake up here today. First service has got you beat because they were standing to their feet. Listen, I'm not trying to throw shade at anybody, but I want you to hear this. Lima Chamber of Commerce, this is on their website, promoting a company that you guys drive around all the time, right over back by Aldi, a store called Adam and Eve. This is on the Lima Chamber of Commerce's website right now. You can go and look at it today. Your local Adam and Eve store in Lima provides a safe, friendly environment for men, women, couples who are looking to venture away from the more mainstream norms of sexuality and experiment with the more erotic and growing interest in taboo sex practices. That's on our Lima Chamber of Commerce's website. How many like theater? You like theater. Now, this is not a trick question. I'm telling you, we, 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 we love theater, right? We love theater. We, we, we love, you know, we, we love going and, and hearing the big bands and all of that stuff. We, we love Phantom of the Opera. We, we, oh, you know, all that different stuff. Sing! We, we love it. We love it. And we were so excited when an old theater was resurrected downtown. We, th- we kept saying to ourselves, we need to go see that. We, we need to go and see and check that out until I went to the website. This is what it shows. Our Wednesdays, usually a drag for you? Well, not this week because our queens are ready to serve it up for you live and in living color. Wednesday is hump day at the Stage Door Canteen with the show performed by professional drag artists right on our very own stage beginning at 8 p.m. Here's a tip. These girls work hard for the money, so come prepared to show them some love. I want you to hear this, friend. That place is promoted by the Lima Chamber of Commerce. Oh, it's in California. Oh, it's, it's in Chicago. It's in a liberal place. Friends, it's right here, right up underneath our noses. Spring and summer festivals are now being promoted online. One of them is being promoted by a local coffee shop that just opened up, and we love our coffee. They're going to have live bands. They're going to have a kid's area. They're going to have a place where you can bring your, your, your fur babies. Just call them pets, dogs and cats. It's okay, right? Right? But at the same time, we're going to have a place to where we're going to give free tarot card readings for you and your life and over your family. 
And at the same time, on this particular website on Facebook, we're posting uh, scripture passages. Judge not lest you be judged. Hey, listen, even the devil can quote scripture and take it out of context. Let me challenge that. You know what 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 says? For it is time for judgment to begin with the house of God. And if it begins with us, then what will be our outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? You see, what does light have to do with darkness? First John tells us this, that God is light. There is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and we live, do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, friends, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin and unrighteousness. Listen, friends, I'm not trying to throw shade at anybody. I'm all about industry in our area. I want to see our city thrive. I want to see our county thrive. I want to see our township thrive. I want to invest locally. But when morals take the back seat to money, friends, we got a problem. Lima, listen, we have a problem. That's why we here at this church, we strive to invest eternally into our kids. This is why we have one of the best kids ministries in the nation. This is why we host LifeWise Academy here. This is why we take offerings to send our kids to camp. This is why we invest in our youth group and parents, we get our kids here every single week. Listen, if we can get kids and their families to find Jesus, I have to believe with all of my heart, it will eventually change the landscape of our city, of our county, of our state, and of our nation. Friends, we have got to have revival. Thank you so much for tuning in to the message. If you desire to grow deeper in your faith, we want to help you. Text the word GROW to 419 495 6802. You can also stay up to date on everything coming up by checking out limafirst.church and hitting the events tab. Lastly, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future LFC content. We'll see you next time.